Case of Mega Oil et al. versus Citation 2004 Investments LLC. Uh, our cause number is 22AMI 1275. Uh, it's an appeal from Gibson County, Indiana. Mr. Burkhart, you're here on behalf of the appellants. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, Mr. Uh, Trailer is here, but not going to argue. Is that correct? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. Mr. Sullivan, you're here on behalf of the Appley, and uh, again, Mr. Inglesworth is here, but will not be participating. Correct, Your Honor. Okay, the case is with you, Mr. Burkhart. Thank you. May it please the court, Robert Burkhart on behalf of the appellants. The trial court's order should be reversed on this de novo review because Citation had knowledge of the Keck lease cancellation within its chain of title. The Declaratory Judgment Act cannot alter Citation's contractual waiver, and the first summary judgment order was not law of the case. And I'll start with the first one. The law is clear. Whether you're a multi-billion dollar Texas oil and gas company or you're an Indiana resident buying a property, real estate transactions, you are deemed the rule of laws to have knowledge within your chain of title. And in this case, Citation paid a half billion dollars for multiple leases throughout the country. They made the determination that the most valued leases were in Oklahoma. So what they did is an exhaustive title review, hired outside parties to do title review, hired outside lawyers to give title opinions, looked at the state records regarding wells, they reviewed Noble Energy, that's who they took their assignment and purchase from, records. But for these Indiana leases, and there were only seven of them, these weren't valued leases, and so they did nothing. No title review, no due diligence. And the law is fine. You don't have to do that. But if you don't, you're charged with knowledge within that chain of title. And within that chain of title to the Keck lease, the lease we're here about today, was a notice of cancellation from a year prior to their assignment. In accordance with the statute, the landowner, Ms. Pegram, filed a notice of cancel affidavit of cancellation with the uh, Gibson County recorder. That was recorded, and in accordance with the statute, the recorder notes on the How many acres did she own? She owned approximately, I think, 62 of the total 480. And of the 480, that's the mineral rights track, right? That's the Keck lease we're here about today. Okay, and so with regard to the law associated with mineral rights, uh, does an individual who owns less than the whole have the right to cancel the lease on behalf of the whole? If you don't have a right to seek a partial cancellation, but that's not what we're here about. Unlike the other cases, the appellate, the appellee's site, where the landowner said, yeah, we're trying to get a partial cancellation, the Meisler case, the Wilson case. Here, not at all. The affidavit is clear. Here's, I'm the owner of this property. I have an interest within that Keck lease. No payments, no oil and gas production within a year. Cancel the whole lease. Did the she uh, put 
other owners who had an interest in this 480 acres on notice that she was filing the affidavit? Did she, no. in other words, did she file on behalf of a class consisting of the all fee simple owners or uh, those who have an interest in the mineral rights of the 480 acres? No, because the statute doesn't require that. And here's, and here's the factual matter that's, I think, important, is if you look at the assignment and the purchase, citation assignment and purchase from Noble Energy. Noble was the one that had the Keck lease. In that assignment, it shows, all right, here's these seven Indiana leases. And it also has a listing of wells. There was one well on that assignment and purchase for the Kecklies, one well. And that's the well they reference in the amended complaint saying, well, here, this one's continuous production. On summary judgment, what the appellants provided was the DNR certified report showing in 2007 that well was plugged and abandoned. So at the time Noble gave the assignment, there was no active well. And under the terms of the Kecklies, it had an, a primary term of five years, and then it has the usual, or I guess standard clause, which says, or as long thereafter as oil or gas, or either of them is produced from the land. So in 20, 2007, you had the singular well that was plugged. And so there was no oil and gas production after 2007. On so, any of the acreage, or just on the, the part that Miss Pelgrim? On the en any, because there was only one well on the Keck lease. Okay. If you look at the assignment, one well. 480 acres, there was one well. It was plugged in 2007. Correct. And so certainly there was no royalties paid after that. There was no royalty, and there was no oil and gas production. And not, not only do we have Miss Pegram's affidavit consistent, not only do we have the DNR report, we have the, the discovery from citation in this case. All right, we said, fine, you made these allegations that you had these payments and you had this continuous oil production. Show us what you got. Okay, uh, I assume that Ms. Pegram filed her affidavit pursuant to Indiana Code 3223.81, void leases, correct? Correct. How is she the owner of the land? Since she only owned 62 acres, how is she the owner of the land statutorily required? Be because the statute only requires have an interest. Not what the statute says. Well, it, it's when it says the owner. Yeah, the owner of the land. And she was an owner of land within that Keck lease. But it doesn't say an owner of part of the land. It says the owner of the land. Right, but yeah. what, if, if you look at the Wilson case, what it says is the ease with which you can uh, terminate leases. And here's the reason why. Because let's say you have an, a longstanding oil and gas um, lease on the property. And you go to, and you, and you, of this Keckley's, you have one acre. You go to sell that one acre, and the owner said, wait a second, our title review says there's this outstanding oil and gas lease. How do you get rid of it? Well, the statute says you file an affidavit, and that's the ease to, in order to have reliable title. Because otherwise, what you do is you would put this onerous burden on that singular owner who has to go back now and go, there could be multiple generations of owners, so you've got various interests you have various oil and gas companies who may have transferred. So you put this onerous and time and expensive process for a landowner to have to go through that and get what? A hundred plus people? That's not what the statute, the, the statute's purpose is to remove these old unproductive leases. And it provides a simple, and as the court said, an easy way of doing it. So no, there's no court that says you have to go out and get every single interest owner. Because if there's no land, I mean, if there's no payments, no production activity, it's void. But, but 
and it terminates by its own under the lease. Well, that's why I was going to ask. This statute aside, the terms of the lease, if there's been no production and no royalties paid since 2007, then, it, then the lease terminates by its own terms. Correct. So it, why, are you, why do we even need to... What, and that's, that was our first point in our brief, is the court doesn't even have to go down into the weeds of this statute, because it can look at two things. One, the contract, which says it's only good as, as long as you have oil and gas production. And In fact, we asked, we asked Citation, give us all your records of production from two, 2006 to 2009. That's a that three-year period. Judgment? Yes, all, all that material is in the record. So we said, give us, give us the three years prior to the cancellation, which you show payments or production or any activity. And they said, we have nothing, because they didn't review any records, and they have none of those records. So we don't even know. I mean, technically, production and, and payment could have ceased long before 2007, the plugging, because, I mean, sometimes you, you'll have a, a, an unproductive well. It's just sitting there, and you don't get around to plugging it, because that costs time and money. So you might wait a couple years. And so in this case, the evidence of record is there was no oil and gas production or payment back to 2006. Can you point me to the, to the language in the lease that terminates by its own terms if there's no payment made? Uh, Citation for if, that. If, if I'm looking at, if it, it's, it's below, I don't know if you have a copy, but if, you, if it's below the kind of where it describes the property, it says, uh, is agreed that this lease shall remain in force for a term of five years from this date, that's 1937, and as long thereafter as oil and gas or either of them is produced from said uh, land by lessee. So once oil and gas production ceases, the lease terminates on its own. And so that's... You're saying the lease expired in 2007, or 2008 at the latest. Well... We'd say, I guess, 2007 at, at the latest, because that's when that la the only well was plugged and abandoned. So would there have been a need for Ms. Pegram to have filed anything in order to sell another lease for well, mineral rights on her property? And that's, that's, that goes to the purpose of the statute. It's because if, if she wanted to, to then go um, uh, have a new well with, with Mega Oil or Lair Trust who went to Mega Oil, they're going to do their due diligence, and they're going to say, wait a second, there is still this Keck lease that's showing in your chain of title. And so what the statute says, well, you can just file this affidavit, and that's what often happens is, you know, you may have a 100-year lease that's still sitting there on your record, and so what the statute allows you to do is file this affidavit, the recorder takes it, and on, on the face of the lease says that lease is void and canceled. So that way, the next person who you're selling it to looks, looks through the chain of title and says, okay, this old lease has been canceled, so I don't have to worry about that. I think Citation is saying that when Ms. Pegram filed that document, it was void on its face because she didn't file for the whole entire uh, in part of the property because she wasn't the owner of the entire property. Can you respond to that concern? Uh, well, yeah, first of all, and as courts have said, people throw around void and void ab initio as if it's, if it's all one and the same, and it's not, because even in the statute it says if you file the affidavit and the other side files an affidavit, then that voids the first affidavit. So there's no void ab initio, but back to the purpose of the statute. No court has said you have to go and get every owner or every interest holder in that real estate, because that would defeat the purpose, which is the simplicity and ease for which you can file that, because otherwise 
you're putting the burden on the, on the landowner who has to go knock back through how many years time and effort, as opposed to what the legislature has said, hey, if you're in the oil and gas business, guess what? We have this statute which says it's pretty easy to get rid of an oil and gas lease by an affidavit, so you have to do your due diligence, you have to monitor that. And in this case, all they had to do was look at that chain of title and say, wait a second, Noble Energy, here's a title defect on this singular Keck lease. They have to do that every, every day. Uh, you know, I, occasionally I stay up later than I should and I see late night commercials and most recently I've seen our former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, uh, telling people that title companies don't have any obligation after the transaction closes and the recorder's office has no obligation to put people on notice so you need to pay a monthly fee for a monitoring service. Is that what we're arguing about here that we, all of us, whether it's just uh, a multi-billion dollar company or uh, somebody buying a new home, we have to keep a monitoring service going on day after day to make certain that the Well, and, and I think the statute answers that too. If you look at subsection 3, it says after, any time after cancellation of the lease and within the term provided in the lease. So that puts the onus on the buying property. Here's citation. What's the term of this lease? Is it still in effect? And how they do that is they do their due diligence. They look at that. Now, if they, they would have found this if they had done that because this was already in there a year prior. Correct? Absolutely. That, okay. that's, and that's our whole point is you don't have to do it. You can assume the risk, but you're bound by what's in your chain of title. Had they reviewed it, a simple title review, they would have found the Keck lease cancellation under their contract with Noble Energy. I think I'm understanding something that you're saying, but I want to really hone in on that. So you're saying that the filing by Ms. Pegram had no legal effect to terminate this lease because it terminated automatically by lack of payment. Lack of production okay. per, per the terms of the contract. So, so it had no legal effect as far as it being void or voidable because the, ter the contract actually terminated in maybe 2007 or before because after, before, after that time nobody was getting paid and by the terms of the lease it was done. Correct. And so what you do, you file this to clean up your title to make sure the ease which you go. But back to the question. And so one, it's real simple. The term of, within the term provided in the lease. So when you're buying something, you look at what's the lease? Because look, let's not be, citation is in the title business, right? They don't buy real estate. They're in oil and gas. They buy leases. They take assignments of leases. So it's critical to know who has what, what parties do we have to pay? So you, th that's the title business. But what they've said here is, Indiana, eh, that ain't worth Can much. Can I ask you about the RT's affidavit, the citation filed? Because in that RT's affidavit, I assume it was filed in opposition to your motion for summary judgment, but it talks about the only well still producing on the Keck lease uh, with a certain permit number um, was the one that the plugging report from 2007 says was uh, plugged in 2007. Correct. Is it possible that well was reopened? because he's making this affidavit in 2019. Well, first of all, no, because we're looking at the year prior to 20, to, to the year prior to the affidavit of Pegram, which there was nothing in the record that shows it was reopened. Secondly, there are no business records that 
citation possessions from Noble, which he could have any personal knowledge, or he could say this is a business record. He said, nobody reviewed anything of Noble. We don't have those Noble records. And so his affidavit was simply based on nothing other than, uh, I don't know if you can't even call it hearsay, because there, no, there was no support for his record. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. You reserved five minutes. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Uh, thank you, Your Honors. Um, I want to jump into that production issue because there's a number of things to clarify. But uh, before I jump into that, uh, I do want to point out that the issue before you today was reviewed by not one, but actually two trial court judges who reached the same conclusion uh, that the defendants attempts to cancel the Keck lease by recording an affidavit for production uh, or regarding production or lack thereof on a small portion of a lease was invalid as a matter of law. And that's what the Wilson case says. It, it does say it's void as a matter of law. But if there was non-production during the term of the lease, is he not correct that um, the lease just plain evaporated, essentially? Well, he, did, he didn't if, even need to file this affidavit. If there was no production on the entirety of the lease, right. that would be the case. Okay. However, that's not the facts of the record in this case, okay, and that's why I wanted to jump okay, into that. Good. What are the facts in the record, that affidavit? Uh, no, multiple. Affidavit is one of them, but not the only one. Um, and, and to back up one step, if you look at the purchase agreement, there is a list of active wells that was attached to the purchase agreement. Uh, it was attached to our complaint. It was also attached to our designation of evidence. Well, I've got a bridge in Arizona to sell you, too, if you'll take my quick claim deed on it. I mean, what, 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 what just because... Let me, yeah, let me connect the dots, Your Honor, because what happened is the Ortiz affidavit had a typographical error, uh, and that's why he's signing to an abandoned well, which wasn't the producing well. The producing well, which was listed in the exhibit, is actually well 76X-27. That's what's listed as an active well at the time of the purchase agreement. If you go on the DNR website, you'll see that that well was uh, actively drilled in 1982, still listed as an active well. Okay, so is it part of the record that that uh, uh, well number was changed? Because the affidavit says 15X26. Right, and that's... Um, there's no, nothing in the Ortiz affidavit that says 15X26. Okay. He says in his affidavit 76X-26. So what I think he did is he took two wells and accidentally kind of mishmashed them in his affidavit. Is there any evidence of payment on that well? Uh, there's his deposition testimony and his affidavit. Uh, his deposition testimony uh, states... Uh, citations well on the Keck lease that used to be Noble's well on the Keck lease was producing during this time. And we know that during this time, which is before Citation acquired it, by the run ticket records of Countrymark, who was the purchaser of oil for Noble during this time, 2009. Uh, he further states in his deposition, Citation has an active producing lease called the Keck lease. It has been producing for decades, over 20, 30 years, and mega oil not only drilled a well on a portion of the lease, took a lease over the portion of the lease, the rest doesn't go to production. So the designated evidence 
in, in support of your motion for summary judgment included all this information in the affidavit and the deposition that is all, That is correct, Your and Honor. So how many producing wells does your designation, designated evidence show were still in production? Uh, one, the 76X-27 well. Just the one continuously. Yeah, there were, well, I mean, this lease started in 1957, I believe. Seven, I think. So, you know, he refers to producing wells over the course, this, okay. was it 80 years now or so? Uh, but and those are over time. They didn't all continue producing over the entire time. It's been a series of But, but there's no question that the designated evidence would support continuous production. Is that right? That is definitely what we say between the Ortiz affidavit, uh, the, the well number in the purchase agreement. Moreover, uh, there's evidence of record that Mega Oil in 2013 was acknowledging there was an active producing well. Um, they sent a notice to re-enter a plugged well bore for saltwater injection. Um, and in that notice, they provided it to Citation. And they attach a map which shows Citation ONG Corp. John Keck at the location of the 76X-27 well. Now, the reason they sent that to Citation, now, under their theory, if this Keck lease is terminated and there's no producing wells, they have no reason to send that notice to Citation, right? But they did because they knew of the producing well. They also knew of the admin code, um, which requires them to send notice to owners and operators of producing oil and gas wells located within a quarter mile of their proposed saltwater injection. So when they sent that notice in 2013, they basically were acknowledging, hey, Citation, we know you've got this active lease and this active well. We're sending you notice, as we're required to do, that we're getting ready to do a saltwater injection well over here at a different location within a quarter mile of your well. What, what's your, your client's obligation to spend a few dollars in Indiana hiring a title company to do uh, due diligence in the search for what may or may not be in existence as far as your claim for ownership? Well, I mean, that has to be tied to a legal theory, Your Honor. I mean, you can't just say they didn't do due diligence. It's got to be tied to a legal theory. Affidavit on record, that uh, certainly should put you on notice that you need to file an alternative affidavit under the statute if you want to keep your uh, interest as a bona fide purchaser for value. And I'd have two responses to that, your argument. One is, is the initial affidavit was just void as a matter of law. Well, so you say. Uh, well, until that's you our follow argument. the statute and, fi and file your uh, uh, counter affidavit. Well, the Wilson case says that it's a conditioned precedent to file an adequate affidavit. Um, and, and I think, Your Honor, both Judge Bailey and Judge Brown have asked questions regarding is it just sufficient for just one owner? or does it have to be all of the owners? And we clearly submit it has to be all of the owners. What? Can Under one owner uh, who has an interest file on behalf of all of the owners? Not without like specific reference, because think of the precedent that would set. If, 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 if Pegram, by herself, who frankly wasn't entitled to royalty payments, which we, we will address as well, uh, but even if she was, if she just on herself all alone says, I didn't get my payment, and that's sufficient to wipe out the legal rights of multiple, these oil and gas wells usually have dozens of people with an ownership interest. 
the, the, the fact that she could wipe out all of their property interest by filing an affidavit that she and she alone didn't get a, a royalty payment would be a, a dangerous precedent. And frankly, I don't know that it would meet constitutional due process. Why wasn't she entitled to royalty payments, one? And then two, why didn't you designate any evidence to show that there were royalty payments paid to some in your summary judgment motion? Uh, so to the first question, th that comes down to that entireties clause argument. Okay. Uh, counsel argues there's an entireties clause. Uh, it's just a misconstruction of common oil and gas leases. There is the, the clause they cite to is a lesser interest clause, uh, which talks about uh, if, if I buy your interest in a, in a lease, uh, Judge Weissman, and, I, and you say I've got 100% of this lease, uh, and I'm going to get 100% of the royalties. We subsequently do title work and see that you only own 50%. Uh, then that lesser of the land, not uh, of the mineral interest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have to pay you 100% royalty on 50% interest. And that's what that lesser interest clause is. It's pretty clear from the language. We've also cited the Summers Oil and Gas Treatise uh, on that. Uh, that that's what that clause is. It's a lesser interest clause. An entireties clause usually uses the word entirety and, and talks about acreage. That says if you own 20% of the 100% or 100 acre uh, in the lease, even if we don't produce a well, you're going to get 20% of the pro rata uh, royalties. That's clearly not what the language in the Keck lease is talking about. There's no entireties language, no acreage language. It's just a lesser interest clause. So it, were there payments made? And if so, why, why didn't you designate those payments? Um, there were payments made that, that um, uh, Mr. Ortiz talks about uh, when he talks about the, the run tickets. Uh, I think the honest answer of why it wasn't designated is, is we didn't uh, parse out this error uh, regarding the uh, typographical error in, in the affidavit. Um, and so we didn't have those uh, from Countrymark because uh, we had asked third-party discovery as to the wrong designated well. So there is designated evidence in Mr. Ortiz's uh, deposition that I just talked about, uh, but we don't have the Countrymark records um, yet regarding the payments that you're asking about. So what type of notice is required to trigger that six-year statute of limitations? Is it simply having something in the recorder's office, or do you need to have the, the lease listed on the DNR database? Well, on the, the six-year statute of limitations, I would say is not necessarily a notice question. It, it's a continuing trespass. So the, the six years would start when they stopped the continuing trespass. Um, and we cite um, to, um, was it the Keene case, uh, the Kerr case, I'm sorry, uh, that talks about that standard um, uh, where, you know, if you continue to trespass, every time they took oil out of the ground that wasn't their oil, they trespassed. Uh, and they continue to do that. Contrary to the Murray versus Lawrenceburg case, though, that was eight years after the casino started operating, and the trespass have been continuing as the casino continued to operate on what Murray thought was part of her land. Well, I think there's a distinction there in that the, the casino was a more of a, the building of it was, I know it takes time, but basically an isolated act. 
when, when you're taking oil out of the ground, it's, it's a different trespass each time you go in and take the oil that isn't yours. And so I think that continuing trespass meets up with the facts of the Kerr case. Uh, similar, you know, there it was the, the constant um, odors, and the, and the party was clearly aware of the odors. He complained, uh, but, you know, the odors were emitted different day, different day, different day. So I would submit that our case is more in line factually uh, with the Kerr case cited in our briefing. So the, the continuing trespass is the operation of Pegram Wells on the entire how, how many Pegram wells are we talking about? Uh, um, there is one Pegram well or Pegram well on, I mix it back and forth and I'm not sure which is right either, so that's why I throw them both out, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one Pegram well uh, on the Keck lease at issue in this case. There are Pegram wells in Posey County okay. separately, but just to try and be okay. complete, there is one Pegram well on the Keck lease at issue in okay. this case. Why do you think that they... So they obviously own surface land on the uh, Keck lease. Why, do you, why is it Pegram is not entitled to royalties? Because of the, the terms of the lease, the, the oil and gas lease. Um, the oil and gas lease provides that, uh, the, the, because it comes from multiple people, right? We got a quilt here of uh, multiple people. And so you get royalties if they're producing on your land. Um, if it had an entireties clause, then she would be entitled to, you know, her pro-rationate oh, share, yeah. but that doesn't have that. So the only people entitled to royalty payments are the people that uh, the oil's being produced on their section of the quilted together lease. So you're, so you're tying up Pegram's. It's not because they severed the mineral rights from the surface rights on the property that Pegram's owns. You're basically alienating Pegram's uh, mineral rights because of this 1937, subsequent 1957 lease. That's true, but they had contractual options, right? You have the Pew Clause, um, you know, that they could have negotiated into the contract, which would have let them done this partial cancellation. Uh, but they didn't contractually uh, enter into that type of situation. They could have contractually negotiated an entireties clause, uh, but they didn't contractually negotiate that. Well, so Pews or uh, Pegrams couldn't. True. I mean, they, they weren't so they, part of. So they they had no mineral rights to purchase when they purchased the land. No, they have mineral rights. For instance, if Citation would have went and put a well where the Pegram well is now, they would have been entitled to royalties on that well that Citation could have Citation put that. Citation has exclusive right, you're saying, then, to on this 480 80 acres. acres. So long as the, the lease is, is valid in effect, that is correct. But in the meantime, they get no royalties because it's not an entity's clause. That's correct, Your Honor. Maybe you already answered this, but was the Pegram affidavit uh, sufficient to uh, cancel the lease as to her 62.7 acres? No, for two reasons. Okay. One um, is it's, it's an inadequate affidavit under the statute. Okay. Uh, along the lines of, of what I think we've talked about is, you know, an owner 
can't uh, terminate the lease. Um, okay. And that's what the affidavit says. She says, I am an owner and I have not received okay. any payments uh, as an, an owner. Her affidavit does not say, I think under any reasonable interpretation that I represent all the owners and I'm saying that all of the owners uh, did not receive payment. What, what's the truth of that fact? Has, have there been any royalties paid to anybody on the 480 acres? Yes, and that's, that's the Ortiz, Ortiz. Uh, deposition testimony uh, specifically uh, talks to that. So the, the affidavit was inadequate on its face. That's the Wilson case. It says it's a condition precedent to have an adequate affidavit to void the lease. Um, I, I, did I answer your question, Judge? I got sidetracked for a second. I'm not sure I fully answered Sure, yeah. They, they though, dispute that uh, Pegram was not entitled to royalties, right? They they're, just, yeah, they're, they're saying if there was continued oil production, they were entitled to their proportion of royalties from production anywhere on the property. And that's based on a misinterpretation of the lesser interest clause, okay. calling it an entireties clause when we submit it's clearly not. Okay. If they don't have an entireties clause, then they don't have an argument for Ms. Pegram that she was entitled to royalty okay. payments, at least not one that I've, I've seen or heard from them. Um, a couple other you could have an entities clause without using the word entities. So. You could, but it was interpreting the lease. You yeah, absolutely, Your Honor. Um, I, but I think a plain reading of the language in the lease, uh, because it's talking about it, literally says a less interest in the fee estate. That's talking about lesser interest. When you're we're talking about entireties, you're talking about percentage of acreage of the lease. So. And there's none of that uh, type of language. Who's committing the uh, continuing trespass, the oil company or the person that owns the land? Um, definitely the oil company, because they're the ones operating and in, in on the lease. Um, and and trespass I, on your own property? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we've pled that only against Mega Oil. I don't believe we've pled trespass against There is a well Mega there on the property now. It's just who pays the royalties to the landowner, whether it's citation or whether it is uh, mega, not whether or not Pegram is now entitled to royalty. Well, I, I, would, I would argue it's a little larger than that because they're saying the whole Keck lease and all the people that had an ownership interest in the Keck lease have been washed out. They've said that Keck lease is no longer valid and that the Pegram lease now, now applies. Um, you know, so, yeah. I, I, well, we don't really have to go there. We can just, if, on your theory of trespass, I don't think an owner can be charged with trespassing on their own land. They may have allowed someone to step in, but there's a well on their property now. No, I, I think our claim, I think the claim against, well, no, I mean, one, our claim is for the. Royalties for that well that's on there now? Dude, I didn't hear your question. I say, are you going to plug the well that's there, or are you going to pay them royalties for the well that's producing and take it up with Mega about what they owe you for uh, oil that's been produced from there, evidently contrary to what uh, uh, you would say is uh, appropriate under the original lease? 
Yes, we definitely have a claim against uh, defendants for the oil that has been converted during this, this time of trespass. Um, you know, we would argue that they need to vacate the premises um, and, you know, what happens with the well after that. I think that probably gets into business decisions outside of, of legal arguments that I probably can't honestly answer for your honor as we're, we're here today. I, I understand that. Just, Just I'm sorry. evidently someone found there was value in putting a well there as opposed to holding the reserve and not having to pay royalties on it for decades. Yeah, I agree that that was Mega Oil's business decision that yeah, they wanted to pursue it. The uh, RT's affidavit, was that filed pursuant to uh, IC 3223.83 with the recorder as well as used uh, for summary judgment purposes? Yes, so, so, All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Thank you, Your Honor. Burkhardt, you have five minutes. First, let me, let me get to this Ortiz affidavit, because we're here on summary judgment, and what's the designated evidence? Trial Rule 56 says admissible evidence. And we pointed out, Mr. Ortiz, his deposition, I didn't work for Noble, I didn't talk to anybody for Noble, and citations uh, in the discovery, the request for production, we asked, give us the payment records for this period of time that's relevant, the year prior to Ms. Pegram's cancellation affidavit. They said, we have nothing. All right, give us the production records for that year prior. We have nothing. So Mr. Ortiz's affidavit is all based on speculation and non-fact. It's precluded under trial rule 56, and that's part of what our argument here today is. Did you file a motion to strike the affidavit? Yes, we, we filed it. And that wasn't, was that ruled on? No. Okay. We filed objections to the, what they called undisputed material facts. Mm -hmm. We filed a motion to strike Mr. Ortiz, and we filed a motion for clarification as to the first summary judgment order. Because this is, this is what they argued on summary judgment. Plaintiff's motion simply argues that the facts and conclusions of law already decided by this court support judgment as a matter of law on the issue of the validity of plaintiff's lease. Now, they're, they're referring to the first summary judgment order. That was one party, Mega Oil, who filed a motion for summary judgment on their bona fide purchaser defense. The issue of the validity of the Keck lease had no bearing on whether they were a BFP or not. And what Citation argued, here's our list of facts, and they said these are all disputed facts. They argued to the court they're genuine issues of material fact precluding this BFP, and the court in its order said there are significant questions of material fact on this singular issue. That wasn't law of the case, because at the time they filed that, there were a dozen defendants who weren't even in the case. Ms. Pegram wasn't a party to that, that that motion. So if we agree that that's not law of the case, um, does your status, if you are in fact a BFP for value, does that defeat Citation's interest here? For, for some, for, for Mega Oil, but that wasn't a summary judgment because it, that wasn't raised. No, I know. You were trying to determine if you were, were in fact a BFP for value, right? right. And, and the court said uh, disputed issues. But right. if it's ultimately developed that you are a BFP for value, does that defeat Citation's claim? Sure, certainly it would, for those parties that have that defense, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, because again, review your chain of title or else you're bound by it, right? Okay. Um, and so the Ortiz affidavit, they, they keep saying there's, there's evidence of payments. Show us one. There was nothing in the record, absolutely nothing in the record of any payment by Noble for that year prior. 
and they don't have any records, so they can't say Ortiz can get through the business records exception for his testimony. His testimony is all speculation. And, and this whole notion about there's not an entirety clause, well, in fact, there is. If you look at this, they defined, the lease defines lessor as one. Now, there were multiple parties, the Keck family, who had ownership, but there was one lessor. And what it says is, we pay lessor. Give us the record citation to that. It, it's, the, it's the Keck lease itself. Exhibit three. Uh, uh, it's, we, it's fine. It's, it's attached to the amended complaint. Okay. But what it says is, we pay monthly royalties to lessor. That means all you people who are in this, we pay one time, one ch check here. And then you go down to the bottom, it says, if lessor owns a less interest in the above described land than the entire and undivided fee simple estate therein, then the royalties and rentals herein provided shall be paid the said lessor only in the proportion which lessor's interest bears to the whole and undivided lot. That's an entirety's provision, because what that means, there's 480 acres. So let's say we drill that one well, and it's, it's the big well. That thing's producing millions. Oh, well, guess what? The landowner, the interest owner who has that piece of property with the well, even though the, the entire well, I mean, the entire uh, field underneath covers 500 acres, it's drawing out of that one well on Joe Smith's property. Joe Smith? gets all the royalties, they say. That's not what this is. This means we're all in this together. We all have this one keck lease we're giving to here. You conduct your oil and gas. We know the oil and gas field, they can be any shape underneath. They can extend for but beyond this 500 miles. So if you're drawing out on one owner's land, everybody shares in that. And that's what the proportionality is. Isn't that the purpose? Because they can't see underground, and that, especially exactly. back when the leases were originally entered into, so you've got, you got to draw a bigger circle than you otherwise would. It's just a fundamental fairness. So we think here the summary judgment um, should be reversed because the evidence doesn't support it. They waived any right, and the court should declare that the Keck lease is void and the Pegram lease is valid. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Burkhart. Uh, thanks to uh, both sides. Uh, it's really nice to have qualified competent individuals coming and arguing before the court who are prepared, and we much appreciate that. You've informed us more than what the briefs even provided, and uh, we will in due course get our opinion back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All rise. This court is now adjourned.